Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome to this Friday episode of Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. Very much looking forward to hanging out with you for the next uh, two and a half hours. And then you and I will say goodbye for a few days. Uh, go off, enjoy the Labor Day weekend. Uh, we're going to, later on in the program, be speaking uh, with a member of the Utah Highway Patrol. There are a number of uh, safety measures that you ought to take uh, as you go off into this weekend. Not, not, not COVID-related. We will talk a little bit about that. But uh, uh, when you're on the roads, uh, there, are, there are certain tactics you got to employ to make sure that you are safe, keep your eyes open, and uh, alert to keep yourself and others safe. So uh, safety first, uh, last, and always as we head off into this Labor Day weekend. I'm very much uh, looking forward to the time away with my, uh, with my beautiful wife and uh, beautiful little baby Piper. Um, we're also... We're also uh, following much of what is happening uh, in the world of sports. You, you know the, the, the coronavirus has dealt a pretty uh, devastating blow to our ability to enjoy sports. We've got some BYU coming up. That'll be good. Uh, but uh, for the most part, uh, sports is on pause. And it is due to a number of reasons. And some of those reasons vary depending on who you are, uh, where you place your priorities, uh, where you have your money stowed, <laughs> and uh, and what you feel about uh, this virus. And feelings uh, may be uh, some of the motivating factors in the decision-making, uh, not so much science. And you know uh, that whenever I have questions about uh, science versus feelings, uh, that there is a resource available to me and Dr. Stephen Mobley, a friend of mine who joins me again on the line today. Dr. Sir, how are you? Lee, great to be on with you. Uh, happy uh, Friday for the long weekend ahead. Thank you. Yeah, big big plans this weekend? Uh, just uh, going to do a little staycation, stick around town, not travel, but uh, hopefully enjoy the beautiful Utah outdoor weather. That's the way. Uh, all right. I each day try to learn a new word. Uh, my word of the day today is myocarditis. Uh, what is that? <laughs> So myocarditis is sort of the main reason that we're worried about college athletes' health. When you hear some of these press conferences being called by the big football, college football leagues, and they're saying we, we, we're worried about the players' health, what they're really worried about is, is the potential, and we can talk about what the real potential is, for athletes to develop myocarditis, which is basically inflammation around the heart. In the center of your chest is your heart. Surrounding your heart is kind of a sac. That sac can become irritated. That irritation can be minor and pass with almost no symptoms. And in rare cases, could lead to scar tissue. And that's what sometimes very rarely leads to the sudden cardiac death in otherwise healthy athletes. So that's why we're talking about myocarditis in these college athletes. Absent the coronavirus, in, in a non-coronavirus world, where, where do you see myocarditis? Yeah, well, that's that's the thing that always seems to get lost in our discussions these days is that myocarditis after any type of severe flu, um, and we'll say for generally speaking that, that COVID is a type of severe flu, is common. It, 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 anywhere from 1% to 10% of people after normal severe flu influenza can develop myocarditis. Now, again, that's 1% to 10% get it. And then you have to think that's a small number. And then within that small number, again, many have mild symptoms. Very, very few have the serious symptoms. 
So we tend to sort of forget that discussion when we're talking about COVID as if COVID is the only virus ever to cause myocarditis. It's common for myocarditis to follow influenza-type illnesses, and the risk still remains statistically relatively low. And are athletes uniquely susceptible to the, the injuries sustained by myocarditis or, or, or what? I don't think there's a good study on that. So since, since no one's really studied that exactly, let's apply a little common sense. Now, you may not be a fair person to ask this to, but I will put you on the spot because right. you're a younger, fit guy. How many hours per week do you generally spend devoted to your maintenance of your fitness? Uh, I'd probably say uh, five, five or six. I try to get in about an hour of running a day. Yeah, and, and you're a young, fit guy. Well, you, you know the end. Go, go on. The NCAA has a general rule that athletes can put in 20 hours per week. That's what they're normally putting in, 20. And some athletes in some uh, NCAA reports have been putting up to 40 hours a week just in physical fitness. Their training, their cardiovascular fitness, their strength training, all these types of things. So we tend to forget that when we talk about the health and safety of a college athlete, you're talking about people that maintain their bodies at a level of fitness unbeknownst to, you know, 99.9% of the American population. As a physician, I would tend to think those in the most amazing physical shape who are training 20-plus hours a week are probably going to do the best, you know, when they get stricken by a cold, right? I mean, if you have a fit person and an old, out-of-shape person, who's going to do better? Probably the fit person. So we don't really have the study, but when we don't have a study, we could use some common sense that athletes you think might be a bit more resistant because they enter the virus being the, some of the most fit people in our society. And then that, uh, that, that issue with the heart uh, it doesn't necessarily disproportionately impact them negatively, or at least common sense might indicate that. Yeah, and to the contrary, because we're aware of it, because we know about myocarditis, athletes who are going to be meeting more regularly with their coaches and trainers, there's screening for myocarditis. There's questionnaires you can take. There's simple blood tests. Uh, you can do things like an ultrasound or even an MRI. So it's a, it's a condition that can be screened for, questioned for, diagnosed. It's not some you know mysterious illness that we know nothing about, yet I just never hear these being discussed in press conferences, and that's why it's fun to come on the airwaves and talk with you about yeah. some of the things that I know that I know a lot of lay people don't know. Well, if common sense and uh, and scientific data indicate that the threat is not uh, exactly one that's going to be taken the lives of athletes, why is it that collegiate athletes are pretty much on pause uh, nationwide? Yeah, I mean, again, it, it's it's you know, is is there maybe a new risk with COVID? I'm I'm sure there is. It's it's an unknown illness, and we don't know all the long term effects. And that comes back to one's personal philosophy about risk. I mean, just let's say your heart is a pretty darn important organ, but last I checked, so is your brain. I just looked at some recent data online that says in a recent survey, over 140 former college football players had symptoms of, tr of chronic traumatic brain injury. So we tolerate, I guess, them bashing their brains at 147 last time we counted, but we're scared to death that maybe one or two of them you know, could develop a cardiac condition. Sometimes I just think we lack a little bit of balance. I mean, we want everyone to be healthy. If we want zero risk, then everyone stay home and don't leave your house. But there will be risks in sports. There will be risks with COVID. But we're kind of forgetting that there, these risks can be monitored, questionnaired, studied, diagnostically tested. There's a lot of ways to keep these athletes safe, for sure. 
is, is it possible that that fear and maybe not wanting to go far enough when compared to other athletic conferences or other organizations is motivating many of these actions? As, as I think back on the timeline, I, I swear that the decision was made by many conferences, athletic collegiate conferences, uh, to halt uh, sports, uh, and then and then afterwards is when we start hearing uh, about uh, about these potential heart issues introduced a, a, as a possible uh, motivator for those decisions. It's almost like the, the decision was made, and then the reason for the decision was uh, arrived at later on. Yeah, and I, I watched it probably like you because we're both, I'm sure, news junkies. But I watched a lot of those conferences when the when the leaders of the conferences were coming together and saying, "Hey, we can't do this. The, there's just too many unknowns." And if you really go back and watch those news clips, go on YouTube and find them, they speak in great vagueness. Uh, well, we just don't know the risk, and we can't take a risk, and we just don't know, and we just, you know, they, they didn't say we're not doing this because there's a 10% rance of, you know, chance of myocarditis, and of that chance, we're not sure if we'll be able to diagnose. I mean, they, they don't give you any specific numbers. They just kind of speak in vague risk terms. And I agree, there, there are some vague risks. Are they manageable? Are they testable? Are they diagnosable? I think they are for the most part, particularly amongst athletes that probably have their health monitored more than regular citizens. And, uh, but again, that seems to always kind of uh, fall out of the public debate. We never have that second layer of discussion. Dr. Mobley, uh, our time has expired. If I've learned anything, it is that I need to increase my athletic activity to keep up with collegiate athletes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> 20 hours a week, Lee. Yeah, oh, my gosh. I was, I was boastfully responding to your question when I said five or six hours, thinking, oh, my gosh, they're going to think I'm some fit machine. No, you got these guys doing 20, 30, 40 hours. Thanks a lot. Yeah, uh, exactly. It is impressive. Yeah, Dr. Mobley, uh, again, thank you for your time. MobleyMD.com, keeping us informed on all things uh, and uh, making sure that we understand exactly why certain decisions are being made. Uh, until we speak again, thanks a lot. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, I've got a question for you. When it comes to your decisions at the ballot box, how much of that decision is informed by political endorsements? Has there ever been an endorsement that has swayed your opinion, that has led you to vote for this person over that person simply because they were endorsed by an individual or organization? You and I will chat about that next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.